Thank you, Dale and Lori and Marge and Pat for leading us in that worship. What a blessing that is. And Rich, about September, when Dale and Lori are up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, they're going to call you and say, help come change our child. I'm going to remind them of that, right? Well, this morning I stand before you with mixed emotions. First of all, I'm excited that today is the Super Bowl. The most meaningful and exciting pro football game of the season. The Bears and the Colts. Now, while I could hope it would have been a few other teams, can't always have my way. Both, coach, uh, both coaches are Christians. In, in USA Today, there's, uh, there's an ad that talks about their testimony. Uh, both Lovey Smith and, and uh, Tony Dungy, both men of God. They love the Lord and talks about their, their testimony, so it's kind of hard to know which one to, to pull for. <laughs> so we're excited. Super Bowl Sunday. But it's also kind of sad. You realize it's the last football game of the season? <laughs> I mean, there's the Pro Bowl, and, and there's... And, but, I mean, with any game that has meaning, okay? Now we've got to wait until August. Six full months without football. But fear not, baseball fans. <laughs> baseball season starts here in just a little while. Well, I hope you know this morning I'm being just a little facetious. Of course, if you would ask my wife, she'd say, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's really not. But really, I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, being a little sarcastic as I talk about having mixed emotions. But do you know that there are some folks who get just that worked up over sporting events? It's their life. There have been people who have described their love for their football team as a religious experience. You ever been to a football game, a professional football game? It's like religious fervor as the team comes crashing into the stadium. And there are people who will defend their team as if there's no tomorrow. If they would only defend their faith the way they defend their favorite team. It's too bad that, too, they're too, it's too bad that the majority of Christians aren't as interested in the Word of God as they are in the conflict that's going to be taking place today between the Bears and the Colts. Really, the bottom line is today's football game really doesn't matter. In the great scheme of things, it's really meaningless. And I suspect that even those coaches would tell you that it's, it's pretty meaningless when, when you think about all the real issues that are facing, facing our world today. Matter of fact, if I were to ask you who won the Super Bowl last year, very few of you, I know you could, Don, Hospital, there's a few of you that could tell me, that, you know, Jesse, 
Those Steelers won it. But who did they play? Well, you'd have to stop and think. Okay, Seattle Seahawks. But most of you don't remember who won the game last year. You don't even remember who they played. And if I said who won it the year before that, well, duh, we just kind of go blank. Johnny misses it. But the conflict that's being played out between the pages of this book, that's a serious conflict. It has eternal implications. So we need to understand what is going on between Genesis and the book of Revelation. We need to know what's happening between the covers of this phenomenal book that God has breathed, that God has inspired to give to us so that we might know Him. How has God revealed Himself to us? Two ways. Through the written Word. And so if you want to get to know God, how do you know God? You know what His Word says. And through the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, you have to know Him. Christ is the living Word. This book contains the written Word of God, and it reveals who He is. And in order to know that, what do we have to do? Study. Study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Friends, as sincere Christians who desire to please God. We need to know how to properly handle this book. We need to know how to defend this message. We need to know what it is that we believe and why we believe it. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks as we get into our doctrinal position, as we talk about what it is that we know so that the conflict that's raging, even in the world today, friends, let me tell you something, as we talked about in Sunday school, What's happening in Iraq, which used to be old Babylon, has implications to what's going on in this book. We need to understand so that we know what's, what's going on. So what I want us to do this morning, I want us to continue with our study as we look at rightly dividing the Word of God. Now next week, hopefully, we might, we might not get finished with this today and so next week we may finish but either next week or the following Sunday we're going to be talking about the Bible what it is about God's word that we believe we believe it to be infallible we believe that it has no errors we believe that it's God's revealed word to us we trust it to be God's complete revelation we believe it to be without error in the original languages well, what do we mean by that? What about the different translations that people use? What do we believe about that? We're going to be looking at all those issues over the next few weeks as we go through our doctrinal statement and we take each one separately and we, we study them. But first of all, in order... The, well, the first step in understanding God's Word, you have to know what it means to rightly divide. I want to try to finish that today. Without approaching the Scriptures dispensationally, you cannot understand God's Word. To fully understand it, you have to know that we are to rightly divide God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us that we are to rightly divide. We told you last week 
what that word is. Orthotomeo. It means to cut precisely. In order to, do, to study God's word, you have to do what God tells us to do. That is to rightly divide it, which is the opposite of wrongly dividing it. You have to rightly divide God's Word. Understand that there is a division, and it's not between Old and New Testament. As a matter of fact, people nowadays, when they hear the word testament, what do they think of? They think of a book. Uh, someone's last will and testament, they think, well, there's a writing. If you have a testament, they think of a book. It's not what the word testament means at all. It has to do with the Old Covenant and a New Covenant. And today, people take up their Bible and they say, okay, well, the Old Testament, that was for Israel. The New Testament, well, that's for the church. Nothing could be further, further from the truth. And that's why there is so much confusion is because people do not properly divide God's Word. You don't divide it between Malachi and Matthew. I'm going to see if I can do this. Right division, is this cool or what? <laughs> right division, we're going to talk about prophecy concerning promises made to Israel. Study to show thyself approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When you go into the Old Testament, what are those books about? From Genesis 12 on, does God have a peculiar people? Does he have a specific program? Does he make specific promises to a certain group of people? I see you're shaking your head. Yes, and that is the correct answer. God has a program. He has made promises to a nation that are his peculiar people who are to be his nation of priests, and his promises are without repentance. He is going to do what he says he's going to do. And so the Old Testament is filled with God's promises for a kingdom to be established. And prior to that kingdom, there's going to be the tribulation and how God is going to work with and through Israel to bring about the Messiah and how through the rise of Israel, the, the entire Gentile world is going to be blessed. It's what God's Word teaches. If you wanted to divide, and I wish we'd have done this, Made, I tell you what, had we done this and not had the division between Malachi and Matthew, because people think, well, Malachi ends it for the Jews and Matthew starts it for the church. Uh-uh. If you were going to make the proper division, all of the following books pertain to God's dealings directly with the Jews and the kingdom as revealed to the Old Testament prophets. Without exception, every Old Testament prophet deals with Two issues, the establishment of the kingdom, a literal kingdom, and being dispensationalist, uh, one of the primary uh, effects of that is that we are literalist. We believe in taking God's word literally, that what God says, God means. We don't have to try to spiritualize and dance around what it says. We accept what it says. In Malachi 3, when it talks about the fact that, that all nations are going to call Israel blessed, what does that mean? that all nations are going to call, call Israel blessed. When God says that there is going to be a kingdom established on earth, that the Messiah is going to rule and reign, what does that mean? That it's only going to be in our hearts and it's going to be up there someplace? No. God's word is going to be carried out. The promises that God made to Israel, God has made to Israel. And we have to understand where that division is in the Bible to understand 
what God's word and message is to us today, the church, the body of Christ. And if we make the right division, it just comes clear. We understand God's word clearly, and it makes so much more, more sense. So the following books pertain to God's dealings with the Jews and the kingdom and with the coming tribulation that's going to take place. Are you ready for this? We're all sitting down, right? Okay, Genesis through Malachi, nobody, deal, nobody disagrees with that, right? Genesis through Malachi, God's word deals with the nation of Israel, his promises to Israel, what he's going to do with and through Israel, right? But what about Matthew? Yeah. What does Christ promise the, the 12 apostles in, in Matthew 19? He says, you're going to sit on 12 thrones with me, judging what? The 12 tribes of Israel. When you go to Mark, Luke, John even, what does it pertain to? It pertains to God's program for Israel and what God is doing through Israel. Even the early Acts chapters, chapters 1 through 8, are dealing with the nation of Israel. When Peter on the day of Pentecost stands and preaches, who is he preaching to? You men of Israel, you men of Judea. So if you wanted to rightly divide, well, you would look at these books. Hebrews are written to which group of people? I wonder who is Hebrews written to? Jews? Hebrews, yeah, the Jews. James. I had a guy call me this week. He's down in Arkansas. He's been a Baptist pastor, and somebody had given him our name and said, call this guy and, and ask him these questions. And this guy called up, and he just recently read Stam's book, Things That Differ, and it has just changed his ministry. Man, he is so confused now, he doesn't know what to do, but that's good. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, he called Paul Sadler, and Paul Sadler said, call Rick Owsley and talk to him about the seminary and what they're doing there. And he did, and the guy says, I'm coming to see you. And one of the questions he asked is about the 12 apostles being in the body or being out of the body. And, you know, he just said, I'm so confused on that. He said, the book of James. He said, it, it, there's, so much, there's so much difference and seems to be some conflict in the book of James. Is that written to Christians or who? And I said, well, turn to James 1. 1. See, God's word is pretty clear. James, to the 12 tribes scattered. Wow, does the Bible clear itself up? Peter talks about to the, those who are scattered. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Who is it written to? The nation of Israel. Jude, what's that referring to? The nation of Israel and the end times, the book of Revelation. Oh, if you think that's written to the church, the body of Christ, we got some more teaching to do. The book of Revelation is all about God's prophetic program to Israel. Because by the time the book of Revelation starts, where is the church? We're gone. We're gone. So if the Bible was set up and, and, and so that Genesis through Malachi, no problem, but the rest of them, and it indicated that this has to do with Israel. It has to do with God's program for Israel. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 10, the Lord Jesus sends out the apostles on their first missionary journey. And when he sends them out two by two, what does he tell them to do? Go only go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Matthew chapter 15, what does Christ say? What statement does he make that ought to just shake people up? I came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
See, it was all part of God's prophetic program to bless the entire world, and we're going to get into some of those scriptures in just a second, including the Gentile world through the rise of Israel. And in God's prophetic word, he talks about uh, the coming tribulation. He talks about the rejection of Christ. He talks about the kingdom to be established. He talks about the, the, the blessings that are going to be bestowed upon Israel, God's chosen people, His nation of priests, and how they are going to bless the world. He talks about all of that. And as we study God's Word, if we see that for what it is, that the church, the body of Christ, is not spiritual Israel. When Israel rejected Christ and God started His program, does not mean that the church, Jew and Gentile, all of a sudden stepped into that position of Israel and you went, okay, we're spiritual Israel now. does not mean that at all. As a matter of fact, you divide between prophecy, that which pertains to Israel and the kingdom promises, and the church, that mystery which was revealed to Saul of Tarsus when he, the chief of sinners, came to know Christ as his Savior on the road to Damascus and was saved away from the land, away from the twelve, away from Israel, on his way to do a dastardly deed against God's children, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, God miraculously, wonderfully, and by grace saves Paul, makes him the apostle to the Gentiles, and presents to him a special revelation that according to Paul's own words was not revealed to the prophets or to the apostles. Even in Acts chapter 1, when in, 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 in Acts chapter 1, I think it's verse 6, the Lord Jesus himself is about to ascend into heaven. He has just spent 40 days on the earth teaching the, the uh, apostles. Matter of fact, one of the first acts of business of the apostles is to replace Judas so they'd have 12 apostles. Why was it so important they have 12 apostles? They went to, to 12 apostles to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes because the kingdom was about to be offered to the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, Peter does that in Acts chapter 3. He tells them to repent in order that the times of refreshing, which Matthew 28 says, is that kingdom when all the different great, wonderful things are going to take place. And so here we, we, we have the apostles as Christ is getting ready to ascend. What is their question? Lord, will you now at this, re, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Were they talking about a spiritual kingdom or a real live kingdom where the Messiah is to rule and reign? They were talking about a literal kingdom. That was foremost on their mind. And as dispensationalists, we believe you take that literally. And Christ says it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Now, he knew what was getting ready to happen because this, what was getting ready to happen, had been hid in God before the foundation of the world. Not revealed. We're talking about this present church age. The mystery which concerns the church, the body of Christ, that special revelation revealed to the apostle, to the Gentiles. You had the one division which had to do with the nation of Israel and God's promises to them. From Acts 13 through 28, who's the character there? Paul. As the churches are being established, 
These scriptures deal with that special ministry historically of what Paul is doing. The following epistles are addressed to the body of Christ. Who's the body of Christ? Us. We are. Which is made up of redeemed Jews and Gentiles. See, today God has no peculiar people. God today is no respecter of persons. Could that have been said in the Old Testament? Absolutely not. God had a peculiar people. It was the nation of Israel. Today, the body of Christ is made up of Jews who come and say, Lord, we believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, save us for Jesus' sake. They're saved, and they become completed Jews. A Gentile comes and says, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am lost. I believe in Jesus Christ. They become a completed Gentile. And they become part of the body of Christ, the church. Can it be any simpler? Romans was written by Paul. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First, Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. All written by the Apostle Paul to the church, the body of Christ. Where do we church go for our marching orders? You go to those books right there. Now that doesn't mean that from Genesis to Revelation, this book is not for us. It is for us. We are to study it. We are to see the principles of God there. We are, it reveals who God is and how God has dealt with man down through the ages. These are the scriptures I want us to go through today. <laughs> game doesn't start till 6 o'clock, guys. Turn with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And I I didn't put this in your bulletin. I figured we'd save a tree. Okay? And Lori was gracious enough to put them up there for us. Ephesians chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation, means God revealed, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, that hidden secret. The Greek there is mysterion. It means a hidden secret. It's not clues in the Old Testament that you could have gone to and picked out and found, here's the church, there's the church. But it was a secret, something that God knew that he had not revealed to anyone else concerning this present church age, this present dispensation. Look at verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is that? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs or joint heirs of a same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Not the same body as, well, Jews and Gentiles make up the same body now. It's a joint body, if you will. That is at the heart of the mystery that there is a body made up of Jews and Gentiles, that the Gentiles were going to be brought into this. Ephesians 2 tells us that the Gentiles were without hope, right? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. 
Man, they were lost. But God had a special plan, a secret that was hid in him, not revealed until, until it's revealed to the Apostle Paul that the Gentiles should be fellow, fellow heirs. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word unsearchable there actually means untraceable. Untraceable riches of Christ. You cannot go into the Old Testament and decipher and determine what God had planned and in mind based on the cross of Calvary. Can't do it. It's unsearchable. It's untraceable what God had in mind. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. We believe that you take God at His Word and when God's Word says that His purposes, His plan here that's being revealed to the Apostle Paul was hid and not revealed until now, we believe that it was hid in God and not revealed until it's revealed to the Apostle Paul. And it concerns what is written to the church, us, the body of Christ. That's not enough for you? Go to Colossians. Well, here, look at this. Colossians. Go to Colossians 1.25. Isn't that the neatest thing? Colossians 1.25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. The word dispensation has, there is its root word dispense. means to how God dispensed His grace. It comes from the Greek word oikonomia. It has to do with stewardship and administration, how God administrates His grace. Uh, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid, hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Gentiles, you can have a relationship with God by coming to Him, believing by trusting Him. Gentile, your salvation is not based on what Israel does. As a matter of fact, God has included Israel in unbelief so that He can have mercy on all. That program was hid in God from before the foundation of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. One more scripture. Romans 16, verse 25. Now unto him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel. We don't have time to get into my gospel. Uh, what Paul calls my gospel, but he's not being an egotist here. There was a special revelation given to this man. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. Just as Moses was given the law, and, and people honor Moses because he was, a, he was the one that God presented and gave the law to. It is this Paul that God has presented the revelation of the mystery to. Now, 
And that's why he can call it my gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, that hidden secret which was kept secret since the world began. You get the idea that there is a difference between the prophecy, that information, those promises made to Israel, God's plan and program for Israel, and the church, the body of Christ. They are two distinct programs. And in order to understand your Bible, you have to rightly divide and see that there is a difference. Let me give you some examples. Prayer. Prayer, for instance. In John chapter 14, the Lord is talking to the apostles, and He tells them, whatever they ask, whatever you ask in My name, the Father's going to do it. Do we have that promise today? No. No. Have you ever tried praying? Has there ever been things that you've prayed for? I have. There have been things I've prayed for. There have been times when I have, I have picked that verse out and I have said, Lord, your word's at stake here. That's when I was a Baptist preacher. I said, Lord, your word's at stake here. John 14 tells me that if, any, if, I, if I ask the Father anything in your name, you will do it. Lord, you said if, there's, if two of us agree as touching anything, it shall be done. And I'd go grab my wife and I'd say, we're going to agree. You agree? <laughs> yeah, I agree, I agree. Okay, we are two agreeing. Christ was talking to the apostles concerning their power and their authority that they are going to have during the kingdom as they're sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. It is the power that they exercised at the beginning of early Acts as the tribulation was about to begin. Remember, the tribulation has to start before the kingdom comes and is ushered in. And the apostles were exercising that authority. They had that authority. They even had the authority, according to John 20, to do what? Forgive sin. You don't have the authority to do that. See, that's not to us. But in Philippians... Chapter 4, Paul writing to the church in Philippi says, Be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and thanksgiving make your request known unto God, and He will give you the peace that passes all understanding. That's our promise for prayer. And I guarantee you, I can't go and say, God, you said in John chapter 14 that whatever I ask in your name, but I can go to God, and I've done this many times. Lord, I am bothered by this. This is troubling me. Lord, I'm praying and I'm committing this situation into your hands. And Lord, your word says that if I submit this supplication, this petition before you, that you're going to give me the peace that passes understanding. And Lord, according to your word, I claim that peace. And God is faithful to do that. Another difference in the Old Testament, tithing. See, you, waited, you noticed we waited until we took up the offering before talked about this tithing Malachi chapter 3 it says that if you do not tithe you are stealing from God you are robbing God under the law what did they have to give 10% they couldn't give any less and, they, and yeah, I'm sure they didn't give any more 10% is what they had to give according to the law and they had to give it to the tribe of Levi 
so that the temple could, could flourish and it could go on. They, did, they had no inheritance in the land. Paul comes along, speaking to the church, the body of Christ. Does he say, I want you to give 10%, and if you don't give 10%, you're stealing from God? What does Paul come along and say? To God, let every man give as he purposes in his own heart, not out of necessity nor grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. Is there a distinction in those two? Huh, yeah. Under the Old Testament, this is even called John the Baptist in on this, because he was an Old Testament prophet, by the way. Let's call Peter and the Twelve in on this. Do you think they had to obey the law? Uh -huh. Christ told them to obey those in Moses' seat. And in Matthew 28, as the Lord is getting ready to be taken up, He says, Go ye therefore into all the world, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you, including the law. Okay? And so they were under the law. They had to keep the law. That included all the dietary laws. That included all the feast days. Hey, why do you think they were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? What were they doing? Keeping the law. Keeping the law. There had not been any changes. The Apostle Paul comes along and says, all things are lawful. Not everything edifies, but all things are lawful. And circumcision, why? In Genesis chapter 17, it says that if, if the man is not circumcised, if a Jew comes and, is, and does not offer himself to be circumcised, why, he is to be cut off from the, from the, uh, the land. He is to be cut off from the people. And I believe that word cut off meant kill. Okay? It was serious. They had to circumcise their children at eight days of age. Circumcision. Was it important to the nation of Israel or not important? It didn't really matter. It didn't avail anything. Oh, it identified them as being the nation of Israel. It was absolutely mandatory. The Apostle Paul comes along and says, circumcision avails nothing. You have to rightly divide the word to understand. And people say, well, look at the contradictions. One second God's saying this, next second he's saying that. It's not. It's, it's to whom is God speaking? It has to do with God's program, God's purpose, and God's directions to the nation of Israel. Our direction comes from a direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself to Paul concerning this church, the body of Christ, which we are part of. We're not going to get all through all the scriptures. <laughs> But what I want us to do next week, we will. Genesis 12.1 talks about the call of Abram out of Ur the Chaldees and the promise that God makes to Abram and his seed and what's going to take place. Exodus 19.5, God tells Israel, it was in your, it's in your bulletin, if you'll obey my covenant, you shall be my peculiar people. You shall be my nation of priests. And what do they do? They raise their hand and say, we will. They enter into that covenant relationship with God. And God begins His promises. God starts His program for Israel as in Genesis 12, 1, as He calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. And God says, I'm going to use the seed of this one man. I'm going to make a great nation. Because the rest of the Gentiles had pretty much done what? 
they'd gone a-whoring after strange gods. They had built the Tower of Babel to worship the Zodiac, the stars in the host of heaven. They had turned away from God, and God in His sovereignty said, Abram, I'm taking you out of Ur of the Chaldees, and here's what I'm going to do with you, Abram. And Abram, by faith, believed God, and he was counted to him for righteousness. Ur of the Chaldees was extremely pagan, pagan area. Matter of fact, where was, where is the Ur of the, where was Ur of the Chaldees? Huh? Iraq. 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 Yeah. What did they worship there? The moon god. The moon god. You ever seen a crescent moon associated with any other religious organization? Yeah. God called him out of that. And Isaiah 2 talks about what God is going to do for Israel. Isaiah 9, Samuel, all the way through those scriptures, we are going to look at what God's program is for Israel. And then when we get through those next Sunday, then we're going to look and see what God's program is for the church, the body of Christ. And it opens up God's Word so that you know what it is that God expects of you, the church. And people say, well, why is that important? Why is it important? Why can't we just take all this and go, okay, it's all for us. Oops, sorry. It's all for us. Because it leads to confusion. It actually leads to disobeying God. And some of it you can't do. And when you can't do it or you don't do it, what that causes you to get discouraged it causes you to say, Lord, I can't serve you, so I'm just going to forget it. And it's because we're not rightly dividing the Word. Amen. By rightly dividing the Word of truth and understanding what God's marching orders are for us today, it makes you bold in your witness. It gives you direction to your ministry and how we're to serve God. That's why it's so important that we rightly divide God's Word. The main difference, the main difference in this present dispensation is how we come to know Christ as our Savior. In this present dispensation of God's grace, what we have to do in order to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized for your remission of sins. They had to do all of those things. Today in this present dispensation, what we must do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Even our Lord in Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We're going to get into why baptism was essential for Israel before we're finished with all this. But why it's not essential for the church, the body of Christ. What's essential for us in order to be able to stand before God righteous and holy is to believe in Jesus Christ, place our faith in Him, and it's based on His finished work on Calvary's cross that we can stand perfect, complete in Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning if there's somebody here who's never placed their faith and trust in You, that, Father, they will do that this very moment. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will move on their heart and they'll realize that they need you as their Savior. So, Father, they'll be the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. They'll commit their life into His hands. And, Father, I pray they'll do this before it's eternally too late. And, Father, I pray this morning that this Bible study makes sense to the people. Father, I... I Praise your holy and precious name that in the book of Isaiah tells us that your word will not return into your void, 
Father, I thank you for that truth that, that crosses the lines of dispensational truth. And that as we stand and preach your word, that you've promised that it will not return into your void. And Father, as we preach it, as we proclaim it, Father, we thank you for that promise. Father, I pray that there will be a keen understanding and that each one of us will desire to be the students of your word that you would have us to be. And Father, I thank you for this church. Thank you for its ministry. I thank you for the calling on each of these people and the ministry you've given them. Father, bless them in, that, in their outreach and their life for you. And Father, as we go to our homes, we just pray your blessings and protection over us. And Father, may we be faithful in our service to you in everything we do. We ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.